thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he has you here today for a purpose. And I want you to hear the word of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What is important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we're both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you this morning, and I want you to get your heart ready to receive the word of the Lord from a sermon titled, Do the Work the Lord Gives You. Say, Do the Work. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your love, for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word, and I pray right now, God, that you would anoint my mouth and my mind. Father, I pray that you would use me today to speak to your people. Father, I pray that you would teach us something today that will enable us to honor you. Teach us something today that will encourage our faith. Spur us on, God, to higher levels, God. Take us where you would have us to go. Mold us. Shape us. Let this be your day. Do your work your way is my prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen. Do the work the Lord gives you. When I thought about this message as I was praying and asking God what he'd have me to say, I thought nobody wants to hear any preaching about work. Why? Because work is not exciting to most people, especially to every subsequent generation. I believe if the world lasts long enough, listen, little kids that are little Malachi's age right now will be telling their kids and their grandkids how hard they worked when they were children. And if we're alive, we'll all be laughing at that. Ain't it right? We'll be laughing at that because in our minds, these kids do nothing but play what? Video games. I mean, if they ever have an Olympic thumb war, America's going to win it hands down. I mean, you got all these people that come into our country and dominate scholastically. But if you set our kids loose on doing this right here, we got it down. I mean, we texting in their pocket without looking at the numbers. We can do all that kind of stuff. But the generation below us is always the generation we think works less. How do I know that's true? Because my mom thinks her generation outworked me, and I believe they did. But I'm certain my grandmama knew that her generation outworked my mama because my mom had washing machines and dishwashers. Grandmama didn't. Am I right, Miss Irene? The, the, the older crowd had real hard work to do, and we, we constantly are telling people that y'all aren't working as hard as we're working. And I do believe the work ethic is lower now in this country than it's ever been. I believe people look at work as a dirty word. It's a four-letter word, but it's not a dirty word. I tell you, every time I talk about work, that work is not a result of God's punishment. God gave man work before man sinned. Work is not part of the curse from the fall of man. Work is a blessing. I spent the last three and a half years trying to recover and get my back together from an accident I had and a back surgery that I had. And I can tell you this. I have longed for the ability to go and do the work that I've always done as a man. If you ever have to deal with chronic pain, am I right, Kim? People want to go to work, and if you ever can't work, you're going to realize work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. And I want somebody to agree with me today that working for God is a real blessing. And I want us to be able to do the work that God gives us the the world that we live in right now though people are on the scam people are on on the scheme people are, are are just looking for how they can pull it in without doing the work we've set up so many help programs and listen they need to be there 
Don't, don't, don't ever feel. The Bible says that we're supposed to minister to the poor. We've got to help the poor. The Bible says when you lend to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and God will repay you. But listen, I don't have a problem in the world. That's why we have a food and clothing ministry. That's why we do free aftercare from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday. That's why we go out into the community and help this community get better, working with schools, working with social service agencies, working around the world. But the reality is we have a generation of people that know how to take advantage of the system. We know, they know how to scam the system. We, we live in, in a world where times are trying and times are difficult. We live in a world that likes division. We live in a world that wants to separate and, and push everybody into their own corners. We're seeing it right now with, with all this election stuff going on. Listen, I'm tired of the election stuff already. You, and I'm going to tell you who I'm voting for right up front, Jesus. All right, we got that out of the way. We live in a world that wants to divide people. They want to class people. They want to label people. Republican, Democrat, that's not even enough. You got to be conservative, moderate. You got to be a rhino, a liberal. You got to be a left wing or a right wing or a tea party or an independent. If, if that's not enough separation, then, then they want, want you to be uh, red, yellow, black, or white. They want you to be rich or poor. They want to class you out. Why? They, so they can separate you so they don't have to take you in but God's word is all about unity can we at least just say that word together unity let's say it again unity we need to work on unity even inside abundant life Christian fellowship we started this church 14 years ago with a desire with a mission and a purpose to be a multiracial church, to be a multi-denominational church, to have people from different church backgrounds, from different ethnic backgrounds. We've got people in this room that speak in tongues that don't speak in tongues. We've got people in this room that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Some believe in a post-tribulation rapture. Some don't even know what the rapture is. We've got pre-millennials, all millennials. We've got pre-wrath. we got no wrath. And we've got people who just want to get to heaven by the skin of their teeth. So we, we are just open for everybody, and that's a hard thing to pull in a society that wants to separate. Dr. King said in the 60s that the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. I looked at a Lifeway research poll, one of the largest Christian research uh, companies in the world, and they said that 86% of all churches in America are 95% one race. Did you get that? 86% of churches in America are 95% one race. Now, there are almost no communities in major cities that, that are that homogenous. There's, there are no communities where they don't have different types of people living in, in the same neighborhood, but they find a way to drive past where they're going to get something that looks like them. And I'm telling you, I love what's happening at Abundant Life because the Bible says when we get to heaven that every nation, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue going to gather together in one place and worship God together. And we're getting a head start on that here right now doing something that most churches would never do. Rich people, poor people, red, yellow, black, and white. But the world tries to divide where God is trying to bring unity. This is not a new problem. This problem has been around from the beginning. Let's look, see how it was 2,000 years ago in the early church in the first century church, in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul is speaking to the Christians at Corinth, and he says, when one of you says, he's talking about the church-going people at Corinth, when one of you say, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I'm a follower of Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? He's saying, when you start dividing yourself, when you start separating yourself, when you start picking camps, when you start saying, we're this crowd over here and they're that crowd over there, when you start clicking up and becoming exclusive and not including other people, you are missing out on what God wants for you. It's hard to not do that, though. I get that. There's some people you click with. There's some people that you got more in common with. I get that. But how do you know when you're messing it up, when you're not willing to let other people come in your group? When you're not willing to let other people come in your circle, then you are acting just like the world. This was going on 2,000 years ago as the church was beginning its foundation in the first century. They had Paul and they had Apollos, two of the big preachers. These were circuit preachers. They traveled around and they spoke in different churches. These were your megachurch preachers. And Paul, history tells us, was short, fat, bald-headed, ugly, thick eyeglasses, walked with a limp, and, a, and, and was not an eloquent speaker. 
Now, how is that the guy God used the most? I'm excited about it myself because, you know, in another five years, I, I might have all that going on for me. But maybe 10, but, but maybe tomorrow. But God uses who he uses. Do you believe that? And I'm thankful that you don't have to be six foot two, 220 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal to be used by God. Ladies, you ought to be thankful that, you, you, you know, you can't even be a real model unless you're 5'8". You, you ought to be thankful that you don't have to be 5'9", a 115-pound skinny-as-a-rail bombshell for God to use you. God is willing to use anybody who'll go to work for him. Now, Apollos was the other dude. Apollos was the Greek guy. He, he was the Adonis. He was, he was the, the typical, big, strong, swole, Greek God-looking dude, eloquent speaker, just people dripping off every word that came out of his mouth. And some people wanted to follow Paul because they knew the anointing of God was on his life. And other people were saying, no, I got to be with Apollos because, A, he's good-looking, and, and, B, he's a great speaker. Listen, we got people picking churches that way today. Let me give you a hint. Don't ever pick a church based on what the preacher looks like. Don't pick a church based on what the preacher sounds like. Don't pick a church based on what the building looks like. Don't pick a church based on what the music sounds like. Pick a church where you believe that you can grow and where you can serve God and, and do what God has called you to do. Does that make sense to anybody? They were messing this thing up 2,000 years ago, and they were dividing themselves into camps. Next verse, verse 5 says, after all, who is Apollos? Now, we don't know how Apollos felt about Paul saying this. Apollos might have been like, I'm who I am. But he's saying here, under the inspiration of God, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. We've got something in church world today called denominations. Been around for a long time. And the funny thing about denominations is that they were all started and ascribed to certain individuals, and most of those individuals did not want anything to do with denominations. One guy I'm speaking of in particular, a guy named John Wesley. John Wesley started, uh, or the Methodist Church was started in his honor, and well, so was the Lutheran Church. Two, two denominations started after one dude, and he said while he was living, you can look this up, don't ever start a church after me. Don't ever start a religious club after me. There's only one person to fo focus on in the body of Christ, and that's Jesus. So we've divided ourselves with all these denominations. We Baptists, you know, there's a Baptist church on every corner. I can talk about Baptists because I got saved in a Baptist church. Uh, then I got filled with the Holy Ghost and went to an extreme roll-in-the-floor charismatic church, and then I decided there's good and bad in everything. I don't believe any one denomination has it all right, and I don't believe any one denomination has it all wrong. I believe there's, there's good coming from all different sides. But people want to separate. That even inside denominations, I can remember when I was part of the Baptist denomination and I worked for the association. And so I had to study all this stuff as the moderator. And there were over 75 in the 80s, probably more now, there were over 75 different type of Baptists in the 80s. It's just not just, well, here the big one is Southern Baptist. But you got independent Baptists, you got general Baptists, you got general congregational Baptists, you got primitive Baptists. I love them. They go to church one time a month. But <laughs> I, I don't really like that. I need church more than that. But what am I saying? Even inside church, we find division. We find people pulling to divide. And that's why I've told you before, and I want to tell you again today, that if you really want to be who God wants you to be, you can't just be a church person. You got to be a kingdom of God person. There's a big difference between church and the kingdom of God. Church is boring. Church is negative. Church is gossipy. Church is nitpicky. Church is full of judgmental people who, who will criticize you and look at you like they're better than you. Church is full of cold, frozen, unconcerned, non-worshiping, non-praising people that think they're going to go to heaven anyhow. But the kingdom of God is an explosive, dynamic place where real relationship happens between you and God and you and the people of God. I want to remind you of some things that I've shared with you before about the kingdom of God. Then we're going to jump back in to our text because all throughout the Bible, this phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven appears. And these verses, these phrases are interchangeable mostly with some small minor differences, especially as Matthew looked at it from a high Jewish perspective. But the scripture talks about this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God concept as a dual concept, say two. 
the, the prophets presented the kingdom of God as a present reality, but also as a future hope. A present reality and a future hope. When the Bible talks about the kingdom, it's a present reality and it's a future hope. Mostly people only think about it as a future hope. I talk to people all the time when I ask them how they're doing. I thank God for the honest ones. That, well, I ain't doing too good, Reverend. I'm just holding on, waiting on Jesus. Listen, God didn't put us here to hold on and wait on Jesus. God put us here to dominate, to take dominion. God put us here not to get along, but to take over. God wants us to be large and in charge. If the body of Christ would stop dividing itself and unify itself, we would be the largest voting block of people in the world. We would be the largest voice in this country. We would be able to get stuff done. I remember a story about a church in the 80s uh, in Hammond, Indiana, pastor by the name of Jack Hiles. I don't agree with his theology, but I love what he was doing in his city. He had the largest church in America at that time, First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. He had more people coming to his church than they had in the city because it's outside Chicago, so they were pulling in all these people from the big city. But Pastor Howells was pushing his shopping cart through J.C. Penney's one day, and he's getting some back-to-school clothes for his daughter, and he saw in the J.C. Penney's in Hammond, Indiana, a bathing suit section with little Playboy bunnies on it. And he took his shopping cart, put all his stuff back, and walked out and decided not to spend any money there. Now, I'm not advocating this. I'm just telling you a story. And he stood up the next day in church, and he said, I want 10,000 letters to go to the general manager of the J.C. Penney's in Hammond, Indiana, and let him know. Now, when you got 35,000 people in your church, you might get 10,000 letters. I don't know. But he said, I want those letters out there this week and tell him that the good people of First Baptist Church will not shop in any J.C. Penney's that supports Playboy. And they were so overwhelmed with newsletter, with letters by Tuesday afternoon, they called Pastor Howes. The general manager said, I'd like you to come to our store and walk through all of our inventory and let us know what's acceptable and what's unacceptable, and we will remove anything that offends the good people of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. Okay, that's one story in one city. But did it happen? Yes, it happened. This is historical fact. Why? Because people were together. They formed a large group, and they took over. Listen, the church needs to learn something. I, well, I believe the Civil Rights Movement learned something from the church, that if you, if you walk in unity together, you can get something done even in a bad situation. Well, the church now needs to look back on the Civil Rights Movement and, and learn the story all over again. We need to walk together so we can get something done because it's not going to matter as this country falls down lower in morality. It's not going to matter as this country falls down lower in Christianity. It's not going to matter as Muslims increase and Christians decrease, whether we're white Christians or black Christians, whether we're Baptists or charismatic Christians. It's not going to matter if we're rich Christians or poor Christians. If Christians don't come together with a voice in unity, we're going to have a rough time together. Can you follow me on that? So God wants us to have this unity. We got to get involved in the kingdom, though. We got to stop thinking about church life and start thinking about kingdom life. Most people see kingdom as this future hope. You know that one day God is going to come back. He's going to send his son Jesus back. He's going to establish his kingdom here on the earth. But Jesus taught that the kingdom is also now. Say now. It is a present reality. That's why the name of our church is Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. In John 10, 10, Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. There's two types of life mentioned in that verse. you got to read it in the Greek to find out it's not talking about the same thing. The life that most people come to Jesus to get is eternal life. That's why I signed up. People say, you know, you shouldn't come to Jesus just to miss hell. I came to Jesus to miss hell because I don't want to go to hell. Can anybody say amen? I don't want to go to hell and burn forever, okay? That's the eternal life part of it. Jesus gives us that in the future, but he also gives us an abundant life now. The sad thing is most Christians are not living an abundant life. Most Christians are living a hold-on life. Most Christians are living a barely making it life. Most Christians are living a substandard, not abundant life, and so they've lost the dual concept of the kingdom, but I want you to keep in mind that it is 
a dual concept, and you especially need to keep in mind that it's a present reality. In Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is come unto you. It's something that can be here. In Luke 17, 21, Jesus said there's going to come a time when they're not going to say, look here or look there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is on the inside of some people. It's a present reality. It's in us. But there's also this coming kingdom when Jesus comes to return and set up his kingdom here. But we've got to get in our mind how important it is to do it now. Say now. Our website is alcfnow.org. We want life now. I want you to have abundant life now. I want you to be a Christian now. I want you to love God now. I want you to walk in God's favor now. I want you to be blessed by God now. I want you to develop a deeper commitment to God now. Sure, you're going to go to heaven one day if you're saved, and I hope that you are, but God wants you to live life now. This is our only chance we will ever get to serve God by faith. One day, faith's going to become sight. The Bible says that faith pleases God. Jesus said you got to work while it's called day because there's coming a day when nobody's going to be able to work. We need to get busy right now in building God's kingdom because kingdom teachings at the heart of everything Jesus talked about. In Matthew 1, 14, Jesus went, Jesus, the Bible says that after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Matthew 4, 17, the Bible says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10, 7, the Bible says, As you go, Jesus said, Preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, talking to his disciples in Luke 4, 43, said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. Jesus didn't go around preaching about church. Guess what people do in 2016? They talk about church. They talk about our church. They talk about the mission of our church. They talk about the value of our church. They talk about uh, how cool their church is. They have building funds and drives. And listen, I understand that, and I'm not mad at any church that's preaching Jesus. I feel like Paul. There's different flavors for different people. I can't reach everybody, and they can't reach everybody. But if we work together, we can get the world reached for Christ. But we got to focus on God's kingdom not our own little church kingdom. There are churches that we that have people coming to our food and clothing ministry that are 10 times larger than us because they don't give out food to their members and they tell their members, oh, no, we don't do that. We're in a building program. Well, God is not going to ask church leaders how many buildings did you build when, when you were on the earth. He's going to ask how many hungry people did you feed. Jesus already said that in Matthew 25. Churches need to do Matthew 25 ministry, which is to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to, to visit those who are infirmed and afflicted. We've got to help people. That's what kingdom work is. We're not here to build this church. I want you to, if you don't hear anything I say today, and I'm talking fast because I'm trying to get you somewhere. If you don't hear anything I say today, hear this. We are not on Georgetown to build this church. Not this little structure right here. Not this compound. Not these four walls. The world in 2016 got the wrong idea of what church is anyway. I was hearing it from the time I was a kid, but I don't think that anybody's really embraced it. That the church is not the bricks and the steeple. The church is the what? It's the people. We are the church, the Bible says, as we go out and expand God's kingdom. But it's easy to get stuck in your mind that your relationship with God centers around this place. And if you sing to God more in this place than you do outside of this place, you are a church person and not a kingdom person. If you read more Bible inside this place than you read outside this place, your Bible is weak and your faith is small. If you pray more and think about God more inside this building than you do outside this building, then you are missing out on what God has for you. I'm talking about kingdom. Let me tell you what a king, kingdom of God is. Number one, it's a place where God is ruling. Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's a place where God is ruling. Every kingdom has to have a king. Webster's Dictionary says that a kingdom is a territory or a place subject to a king. I want to ask you this morning, is your life subject to a king? Are your hopes subject to a king? 
Are your desires subject to a king? Are your finances subject to a king? Is what you eat, drink, sleep, breathe, and think about subject to a king? If it is, then you're on the kingdom side. Kingdom is not so much a place to find as it is a life to be lived. And we need to get back focused on living a kingdom life. Our kingdom life is, is not the journey. Uh, it, 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 the king, our journey is not to the kingdom. Our journey is inside the kingdom. You've got to get both feet planted inside this kingdom mindset. It doesn't have physical boundaries. You don't have to say, well, where do I go to, to get in it? It's anywhere somebody's walking in obedience to their king. It's anywhere where somebody is surrendering to their king. Your house can be the kingdom of God if it's subject to the king. You ought to know if your house is kingdom or not. You ought to know if your, your car can be the kingdom of God if it's subject to... Now, if you're one of those people that's changing the radio station when you turn off Firestone, don't think your car is in the kingdom. Y'all not following me this morning. Y'all don't want to be honest. If, if you can't do inside your house... When you're there by yourself, what you could do with me and Deacon Wes visiting you in your living room, then your house is not part of the kingdom. The kingdom is any place where God is being recognized as the ruler. Second thing it is, the kingdom is a place where God's at work. Say work. You don't have to let God work on you, but I wish you would. You don't have to go to work for God, but I wish you would. If you ever stop just coming to church and get involved in working in God's kingdom, your spirituality is going to change. If you ever just stop thinking that your relationship with God means you get dressed and come to church on Sunday morning, and you actually get involved in ministry, your life is going to change. You're going to go from church to kingdom. You're going to go from boring to exciting. You're going to go from no purpose to real purpose, and you're going to realize that life is abundant, and it's better when you're where God is. Is working. I told you it's a present reality and a future hope. I want to be able to live out the words of the old song in, in my life. I want to truly be able to say what they used to say in, in the old church, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. See, that's when you're in the kingdom where you know God is right there with you all the time. It's where God is being honored. It's where God is being active. It's a place where God is the ruler. It's a place where God is ruling and working. Here's the question to you today. Is God ruling in your life? Or are you ruling in your life? Because that's really the, 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 the two big choices right there. It's not the devil. It's not the work. It's not all these other things. It's really God or you. You either are making your own decisions and being your own person, or you are yielding and bowing to the wishes of your king. I got good news for you. If you've been messing it up, and most of us have, God will always take you back. God is so good. There are people, and I've seen this. This has happened to me with almost every human being I've ever known. They get mad at, when they get mad at me to their level, they won't take me back. And, and they just decide, I'll cut you off, and I won't take you back. I want you to know God has no cutoff point. God's love has no cutoff point, and God will always take you back. Don't think that you've gone too far, overstepped too many boundaries. Don't think that you've messed up too many times just because other people kicked you to the curb and decided that they ain't got no use for you anymore. God will never kick you to the curb. Is that good news to anybody other than me? That's one of the reasons I love him so much. But we need to get busy working in God's kingdom. So many times when Jesus was talking, he paralleled the kingdom to a field or a vineyard a place where a farmer would go and do work. And he's called us to work in his field. Paul is talking about this in this first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3. He's talking about work inside this field. And in verse 6, he said, I planted seeds in your heart. I planted the seed in your hearts. Now, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus has already told us that the seed is the word of God. The seed is the things of God. It, it's the truth of God that will draw people to God. Paul said, I planted those seeds in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Paul planted it, Apollos watered it. Who made it grow? God made it grow. So there's two aspects seen here as it pertains to working in God's kingdom, planting and watering. And here's the job that every one of us has every day for the rest of our life. Planting 
and watery. If you want to be the man, the woman, the young person that God wants you to be, you need to be planting seeds, and you need to be watering seeds. Listen, only God can make it grow. I know it's frustrating. I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I've wept with people, and I've prayed with people who've wanted to see their children get saved, and they're concerned because their children are wayward right now. Listen, you know if you planted good seed in them. You know if you put God's word in them as a child. You know if you've planted seeds in their heart of God's word. You know that God has sent other people along to water it, but only God can make it grow. Here's how it happens in my life. As a child, I, I was born into the Catholic Church. My parents got divorced when I was in the second grade, and they kicked us out of the church, so we became Baptist. Catholic Church planted seeds in my heart from the Word of God. We had a big, giant Bible this thick, had all kinds of cool pictures in it, full color. I loved that Bible because it had lots of cool pictures in it, and I was little, and I couldn't read, so I liked looking at the pictures. And I'd have Dina pretend to read it to me because she couldn't read either, but she'd pretend to read it and turn the pages. But they planted seeds in my heart about God. When my parents got divorced and my mom pushed us off on the church bus that came by every Sunday morning. I went to the little Baptist church, and they planted seeds. They started telling me the word of God. Listen, none of that was growing in me. There were people planting seeds in me from the earliest days of my life. There were other people, Christians, who would come along and do good to me, share God's love with me. But it wasn't working for me in my life. I still got messed up on drugs and alcohol, still got in and out of jail, still got kicked out of everything I was ever a part of. Why? Because I hadn't grown yet. God hadn't made it grow yet. Don't think that just because somebody's not saved that they're not going to get saved. Are you hearing me? Don't think just because your child hasn't come to Christ yet that they're never going to come to Christ. You need to realize that's a yet thing. And you need to get a yet faith. You need to have a faith that says, I will yet see the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. I will yet praise him. I will yet believe in him. And my children will yet come to God. I'm believing in that with everything I have. All you can do is plant. All you can do is water. All you can do after you've planted and after you've watered is ask God to send along more planters and more waterers. That's what Jesus said. He said the that the, that the harvest is white, it's ripe unto harvest, but the labors are few. And he said, pray that God would send more laborers into his field so this harvest could be gathered in. I've got friends around the country that I'm praying for to get saved. I can't reach them all the time. So I pray and I ask God, send laborers into their life. If you have family that's unsaved and you've done all you can do, and listen, family will tune you out. Am I right? Family tired of hearing about tired of hearing about your faith. They know too much dirt on you anyway, and they're gonna be like, "Yeah, right. You're Christian. I know you." No, they know the old you, but that's a different message for a different time. After you've told them everything you can tell them, and they haven't come to Christ, you need to start asking God to send laborers their way. What are their laborers gonna do? They're gonna plant and they're gonna water. What are they gonna do? They're gonna plant and they're gonna water. This is what we need to be doing in this neighborhood. This is what we need to be doing on our jobs. This is what we need to be doing in our schools. This is what we need to be doing in our community. What? Planting seeds and watering seeds. Everywhere you go, you need to start living life on purpose. Very few people live life on purpose. I can remember being at Fort Dix, New Jersey in 1986, basic training in the United States Army. Drill Sergeant Robinson said it all the time, every day, Move like you got a purpose. We're on a mission, son. Move. We're on a mission. Everything, we were on a mission. Listen, if you're saved in here at all, you've got a mission. If you're saved in here at all, you've got a purpose. And you need to start approaching every day of your life with a mission mindset. You need to approach every day of your life with a purpose mindset that says, I've got a task to do. I have work to do today. I have to go out into this world and plant seeds of God. I have to go out into this world and water seeds that have already been planted. So how do we plant? I'm going to give you a couple things. We can talk about it more at a different time, but share your faith. Tell people about your love for Christ. Invite people to church. Pray for the lost. Love people. Get involved in ministry. Live your life as a testimony. Listen, hold a door open for somebody. It's so funny to me when somebody sneezes. What, what, what do you do when somebody sneezes? You say that without even, you just reflect. Somebody sneezes. Lost people say that. 
and they expect to get it back. Try, try not saying it to somebody. They'll look at you and they'll be like, you didn't hear me sneeze? Listen, don't look at me like that because I don't say it. I don't say it just to mess with you. Plus, I know where it came from and it doesn't have good origins. But that's a different message for a different time. You could be at a bank, total stranger in front of you, and they sneeze. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to say, God bless you. You're not going to be shy of that. You're not going to be ashamed of it. But you, why can't you just say, God bless you, if they don't sneeze? See how that'd be different? Oh, well, I'm too shy for that. What, a sneeze unshies you? What are we talking about here? They got to blow snot and boogers on you to get you to speak up for Christ? What if you just started seeing people holding the door for somebody saying, God bless you? Listen, if you don't get anything out of this today, stop waiting on people to blow snot on you for you to bless them. Just start telling people, God, but what's that going to do? That's going to put God's name in somebody's ear with a positive twist. Because I'm going to tell you about church. Most of the community, I, I believe what one writer said, most people don't come to church because they've been to church and they didn't like it. Most people that don't come to church, when they hear about God or church or the things of God, they have a very negative outlook on it. They have a very low opinion of it. We've got to change that. We've got to reverse that curse. We've got to start getting God's name out there in a positive way. Too many churches have moved into neighborhoods and just took money to build bigger buildings without putting anything back in the community. You know we're not doing that here. We are going to have, we're going to establish a reputation. It's already been established. News cameras have already come out here. We've already had politicians and, and, and uh, high-minded people come out here to check out what we're doing. But we are going to continue to build on the reputation as the church that's here to bless the community. So people will know that God is good. Do you believe God is good? We got to get it to that point, but we've got to get it that way without division. We've got to get it that way without separating. We've got to get it that way without concentrating on do we agree on every single thing. We're going to talk about that tonight in new members as well. I don't really care what your view is on the rapture. I don't really care what your view is on speaking in tongues. I don't care what your view is on transference of spirits. I care what your view is on salvation. I care what your view is on Jesus Christ because the Bible says we're all the children of God by faith in Jesus, not those other things. If we can agree that Jesus is the only way to heaven, we can change the world. Paul said, I'm nobody. Apollos is nobody. We're just people who did the work, but God was the one that made it grow. Listen to verse 7. Well, don't, don't miss it. We plant by doing those things. I didn't tell you how we water. Guess how we water? Same way. Say same way. Do all those same things. It's all the same work. First Corinthians 3, 7 says it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. I wish that every preacher on the planet would put this on his business card. I wish that every preacher, on every pastor on the planet would memorize this verse. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. We live in a world of celebrity preachers. That's why I wear blue jeans to church. We live in a world of celebrity preachers. That's why I tell you all the time that I'm a messed up failure, racked with issues, a work in progress. I am, I'm as messed up as you are, and God can use me. He can use you too. Why? It's not important who he uses. What is important is that God makes the seed grow. Here's what we've got in America, though. Big-name preachers. Big-name Everybody wants to be apostle so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, right reverend, honorable, doctor so-and-so. Listen, <laughs> that's crazy. If so, you meet somebody and, and you tell them your name and they tell you their title, know right off the bat they, they're high-minded. You didn't ask them, oh, I'm apostle, reverend, right doctor, evangelist, founder, missionary, and potentate, presiding prelate. What does your mother call you? John. Oh, hi, John. Nice to meet you. You are not important. Scott Becker is not important. Listen, if I fall over and die today, somebody's going to step up and pastor this church in abundant life, still going to feed the hungry and love on this community, and still going to honor God through this place. It's not important. Who does the planting? It's not important. Who does Well, I want to be important. Well, you picked the wrong religion. There's only one person important inside this religion. It's God. His son, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. 
We need to understand God can use anybody. Here's a problem people get into when they start doing ministry. They think that they're all that in a bag of chips. They think that they do it better than everybody else. Listen, if you're doing any ministry at all, you ought to thank God for doing ministry inside you. Because if it wasn't for God, none of us could do anything. We need to keep in mind that God is preeminent in everything that happens in the kingdom. See, in church life, the pastor's important. Got the pastor's name on the church van. Got, you got the pastor's picture on everything. You got billboards. with. Listen, I've never seen billboards with Bibles and crosses on them as much as I've seen billboards with some big smile, chicken-eating, grinning pastor on a billboard saying, come to me because I'm smooth. Look at my suit. Listen, that is not what God wants. God wants humble people to go to work that are willing to give him the credit, that realize that he's the one that's important because he's the only one that can bring salvation. He's the only, listen, good preachers can build crowds. Good marketing can build crowds. Good money can build, build, build big buildings. But only God can bring real salvation. Listen to verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Here's the good news. Because he just said that he was a nobody. He just said he was replaceable. He just said his buddy, Apollos, was a nobody. He said Apollos was replaceable. But he says here that they work together with one purpose. What's the purpose? To build God's kingdom, to glorify God. How is God glorified? The Bible says that God's glorified when his house is full. The Bible says God's glorified when we bear much fruit, when people see Jesus. So they're working together to build God's kingdom. They're two nobodies. God could have picked anybody, but he picked them. They're working to build God's kingdom. Here's the good news, though. They both will be rewarded for their own hard work. You need to understand there's rewards in serving God. Most people don't get it. Most people just think serving God is boring. Listen, serving the church is boring. Serving the church is a pain in the back and other places behind you. Serving the church it just will wear you out. But serving God is exciting. Serving God is rewarding. Serving God is incredible. And there is rewards for the work that you do inside God's kingdom. And you're never going to find that out just coming to church on Sunday morning. You're never going to find that out just reading the Bible and singing songs in church. Until you start having a personal quiet time where every day you read the Bible at home, where every day you say prayers at home, where every day you sing songs to God at home, you're never going to make this transition from boring to exciting. And if you do that long enough, you're going to grow cold on church. And then you're going to be like half of America that used to come but aren't there anymore. What am I telling you? You can be rewarded for your own hard work. Now, the Bible is a specific book. I love how specific it is. It doesn't just say that we'll be rewarded for our own work. We're going to be rewarded for our own hard work. You ain't going to get this message on TV. Come to Jesus and work hard. Uh, no, that's not what they're saying on the radio. Come, come to Jesus. He's going to give you double for your trouble. God about to open up heaven and pour out a blessing on you. Pull the lever. Say money. Just say money. Say speak money. That, that, that's, that's not the message Jesus preached. That's the message people want to hear. But the message of Christianity is you come to Christ and you get busy working in his field telling other people about how great he is. And you will be rewarded for your own what? Hard work. Nobody want to do that. Listen to verse 9. For we are both God's workers. He's still talking about him and Apollos. Because this was the big faction. Everybody wanted to say, well, our church is better because Paul is the head of our church. And, well, our church is better because our leader is Apollos and he's smooth. When Paul is telling look, this is nothing. The only one head is Jesus. We're just both workers. It's a problem in American pastoring today. Pastors think they're here and everybody else is here. And I want you to know that doesn't work here at this church. We don't, we don't, we don't facilitate like that here at Abundant Life. I've told you all before, I'm not special because I'm the one with the microphone. It could be any one of you. If God called you to be the pastor, I sit down and sit. I did more sitting than I ever did preaching inside the church. And listen, it was a whole lot easier. 
I loved being a Sunday school teacher. Teaching Sunday school was a lot easier than overseeing an entire church. I loved being an outreach director. I loved going on soul winning visitation. I loved doing all that stuff. We need to understand that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same. We're, and, and not only do pastors have their high-mindedness, but the church has low view of their self. People think that it's the pastor's job to do all the work. Well, you're just, letting your, you're just giving an excuse to yourself. Who have you led to Christ lately? What seeds have you sown lately? What have you watered lately? What have you done for God's kingdom lately? We've got this division between the clergy and the laity, the pastor and the people, when the word plainly says that we're all just workers. And the world is God's field. The world is God's building. God wants to build up this kingdom, but it takes work. Say work. Verse 10, because of God's grace to me. He says, the only reason I do this is because of the grace of God on my life. God is the one. He said, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. I believe God wants us to do everything we do with expert fashion, with an excellent spirit. That's why I need you to get involved. I need you, if you've got money, I need you to give more money. If you can sing, I need you to get up here and help us sing. If you can play an instrument, I need you to get up here and help us play an instrument. If you like kids, I need you to work with kids. If you like teenagers, I need you to work with teenagers. If you can stand an hour of screaming babies, for God's sake, take a rotation in the nursery. <laughs> Somebody ought to say amen. Listen, we're one of the only churches on the planet that do not require mothers to be on the rotation. And I've had people tell me from the day we started, Pastor, you ought to make everybody who drops a baby off, serve at least once every three months in here. I'm like, I, we can put them on a schedule. If they, don't want to sh- if they don't want to do it, they just won't show up that week. And we see that happen. We could put them on a schedule, but if they don't want to be there, I don't want them there. I've raised my own babies inside this church. I didn't want people that didn't want to be in there handling my children. Listen, we need somebody to go to work. You shouldn't know who all the workers in this church are. You shouldn't know who all the ones doing work in this church are because everybody should be doing something. We're all workers. He said, it's just God's grace on my life, but I built a foundation as an expert builder. You need to let God use you to do something awesome. You need to let God use you to do something with a spirit of excellence. You need to let God use you to do something that will shine for him. Paul said he built as an expert builder. He said, now others are building on it. Other churches were popping up that Paul wasn't overseeing. Other pastors were popping up that Paul wasn't teaching. And he says others are building on this foundation. He said, but whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful. Here's the thing about working inside God's kingdom. It's not the Adam's family. You just can't do what you want to do, say what you want to say, dance how you want to dance, play how you want to play. There are rules. There are systems. There are guidelines. There is a way to work inside God's kingdom. I know people who are just trying to start house churches. And you know who starts house churches? Disgruntled, mean people that couldn't get along with the people in their last church. Stay away from that crowd. They don't mean you no good. They're sitting there with their nine friends that all left mad together. They're not tithing to anything. They're not supporting missions around the world anywhere. They're not impacting anything. They're sitting around drinking coffee, talking about how glad they are not to be in church anymore. That's not how you build on this foundation. The Bible teaches us how to build on this foundation, and it's built through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, deacons, and church members. Okay? That's a different message for a different time. Listen to verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. You got to understand the heart of the verse. The verse is right because all the verses in the Bible are right. It says no one can lay any foundation. Well, they can. They can't really, but they can try. They can't effectively, but they can try. And there's a lot of churches in this country and around the world that are building on the wrong foundation. They're building on the personality of the preacher. They're building on the location of the sanctuary. They're building on the strength of the worship leader. The largest church in America Well, I don't even know. It changes up and down based on who's counting what numbers. But Joel Osteen's church in Texas, routinely at the top of the list of largest churches in America, they will gladly tell you, you know what built that church? Wasn't Joel Osteen's great preaching. It it was the worship leader that they had there. Israel Houghton built that church. New Breed built that church. 
The people were coming from out of everywhere to hear the music. That's how churches are being built now, being built on music, being built on how good you get greeted in the parking lot, being built on did the church send you a thank you for visiting us letter, being built on, well, this church gave me a loaf of bread when I visited them because they said Jesus is the bread of life. Well, this church gave me a coffee mug with their name on it when I visited them, and it was filled with homemade cookies. Listen, ain't none of that got nothing to do with the Bible. And if you're waiting on a coffee mug with my name and picture on it and some homemade cookies, you better go to Walmart. Take a picture of me. That's shoot, screenshot it on there for you. Listen, the foundation is not scheming. The foundation is Jesus. That's all there is. People are like, well, Pastor, why, why don't we, you know, mail out gifts to all our visitors? Listen, we're not trying to give out coffee mugs, and we're not trying to give out cookies or loaves of bread. But what we are offering to the people that come to this church is God's love in a very real and relevant way in his son, Jesus Christ, that can change them forever. That's the only foundation that there is. What is, think about what a foundation is. The foundation is the thing that everything else rests on. The thing that supports everything on it, and that's who Jesus is. If you're not building your life on top of the Lord Jesus Christ as your foundation, then your stuff is going to sink. Your stuff is going to fall down. Your stuff is going to falter. you got to build on a solid foundation. And I want you to know God wants his kingdom to be built on one thing, and that's his son. Nothing's more important than Jesus. If you're cold on the name of Jesus, you need to get your heart right with God. If you're cold on the name of Jesus, you need to fall in love with God and his son all over again. You need to believe that there's no other way than Jesus Christ. There was a movement that started in the 70s in the church world called NOW, N-O-W, no other way. Listen, I want to tell you something. There's still no other way. There is no other way. I'm not mad at these churches giving away cookies and bread. Listen, that's just a scam. That's just a scheme. Having helicopters drop thousands. I saw a church uh, in our neighborhood over in Oakleaf had a helicopter drop 10,000 eggs on a soccer field. Uh, Not not real eggs. That would have been funny. I would have showed up to see that. Little plastic eggs filled with candy. you know, and it drew a big crowd, built a big ministry off that. Listen, helicopters and plastic eggs filled with candy is not what is going to build God's kingdom. People learning who Jesus is. So what I want to ask you today in closing is, do you know who Jesus is? Do you love him? Has he ever changed you? Has he ever gotten on the inside of you in a way that you can say, I know that he loves me and I love him? I know that he is real to me as, as the air I breathe. I can't see the air in this room, but I, I believe it's here. I can't see Jesus, but I believe he's here. I feel my chest expand and contract. I, I, feel, I feel the wind blowing through my nose in and out. I can feel the effects of the wind, and I can feel the effects of Jesus in my life. See, when I talk to people about Jesus, I don't talk doctrine. If they want to argue about doctrine, I get off that, and I talk testimony. So you can argue with my opinion of the Scripture, but you can't argue with the fact that on July 15, 1981, when I got down on my knees and I asked God to save me, that he took me off drugs and alcohol. He took me off brokenness and dysfunction, and he gave me a love that I didn't have before. You can't, you can't, if, if you try to convince me that Jesus is not real, you're too late. <laughs> you're too late to run that by me because I already know better. I know, how do I know he's real? Because he's real in me. How can you know he's real? When he's real in you. See, the sad reality is I'm up here talking about kingdom and how to work for God, and some of you aren't even part of the kingdom. Some of you haven't even bowed your knee the first time to surrender your life to God, and you need to do that. You need to get saved. Some of you have tried so many times, walked out so many times, and it didn't work out for you. Why? Because the Bible says that you'll only find him when you search for him with your whole heart. If you're here and you've never truly been saved, I'm not going to have you come down this aisle this morning and pray some prayer uh, emotionally. But if you're here and you're not sure that heaven is your home, if you're here and you're not sure that you're a Christian the way the Bible says you need to be a Christian, here's what I want to tell you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. This is the story of Christianity. 
that because we're not perfect, because we all sin, somebody had to pay for our sins, and Jesus did that. The Bible says the payment for sin is death. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. He paid for our sin penalty. And all you have to do is believe that after he died, that he was raised from the dead. And God said that will qualify you for salvation. The Bible says that if you'll confess your sins to God, that he will forgive you of your sins, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Some of us in this room need to get busy working for God, while others need to get busy giving your heart to God in the first place. I've seen too many people rededicate their lives. Listen, if you're not right with God, stop rededicating your life and get saved for real. People rededicating because they don't want to admit that they've never been truly saved. There's no shame in not ever being truly saved. The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. God would be happy for you if you would give your heart to Christ. God would be happy for you if you would finally admit, you know what? I'm ready to get on with the getting on. I'm ready to give my life to God in a very real and substantive way. And I hope that if you need to do that, you'll do it today. You don't need to shake my hand. You don't need to walk an aisle. You don't need to pray a prayer with me. You just need to call on the Lord. Because the Bible says if you call on the Lord, he will save you. He is the foundation of real life. There is no other way. Jesus said of himself, there's no other way to heaven, but no other way to God but through him. He's the only way to get to God. It's not by coming to church. It's not by being a good person. It's only by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We looked at verse 5 and verse 8. Verse 5, Paul said, each of us did the work the Lord gave us. We need to do the work the Lord gives us. God has given us a building to meet in. God has given us leaders. God has given us vision. God has given us purpose. God has given us work to do. But we don't have enough people shouldering the load. We need some people that will be able to say what Paul was able to say. We did the work that the Lord gave us. And then you'll be able to say what he said in verse 8. And we were both rewarded for our own hard work. I've heard people say, oh, she's such a good Christian. She's going to have lots of crowns in heaven. She's going to be walking around with crowns and jewels in her crown. That's not taught. That's not in the Bible. There will be crowns, rewards for the things that we've done serving God. The Bible does teach that. But we won't wear them in heaven. The cool thing we will get to do with them, though, the Scripture tells us that when God gives us rewards for the things we served him in, that we will have the opportunity to bow before his son, Jesus Christ, and present those to him. See, I've heard people say that they, as long as they get to heaven, they don't care if they have any rewards. I don't want to get to heaven like that. I don't want to get to heaven empty-handed. I don't want to get to heaven and have nothing to offer God. See, the Bible teaches that all of us have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One day God is, is going is to sit in front of you, David, and he's going to say, David, I left all this heaven, and I came down to the earth for you. And I was spat on and mocked and abandoned crucified, died, raised myself from the dead, shed my blood and gave my life for you. Now let's look at what you've done for me. And the Bible says the story of your life will be shown out before the Lord. And that you will gain reward for the good things that you've done and you will suffer loss for the bad things. You won't lose your salvation, but you're going to suffer loss of joy. You're going to suffer loss of the rewards that you had. When my life's movie is played out before Jesus, my biggest goal in the world is that he will give me something. I want to be able to kneel down in front of him and say, I know you loved me enough to die for me. I loved you enough to live for you. And I want to take these things that you've given to me, and I want to give them back to you because you're my king and you're my God. And you better want to have something to give to the Lord when you get to heaven. Does anybody feel like that other than me today? You can be rewarded for your hard work, but you're not going to be rewarded for sitting back doing nothing. Jesus said in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other stuff, all these things, what things? Food, clothing, shelter, material things, things that we worry about, things that we focus on. Listen, God's not going to ask you how big your house was or how, how big you drove. 
God's not concerned or impressed with your jewelry. He's, in, he's concerned with, are you willing to put his kingdom first? He said, if you put him first and his kingdom, everything else is going to fall in line. The reason why some people are struggling and scratching and clawing and can't put it together is because they never really put God first. When you put God first, everything else will fall in line. That's the promise from God. So there's two things that's, that need to happen. Everybody needs to do one of them. If you're here and you're not saved, you need to get saved today. You just need to call on the Lord and ask God to save you, and he'll do it. If you're here and you are saved, you need to make a decision today that you're going to put God first, and you're going to go to work in his kingdom. Stop worrying about the bill structure. Stop worrying about all the future stuff. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. Put God first. Make God the most important thing in your life. I told you that the kingdom. See, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom is a place where God is working and where God is ruling. Make your house the kingdom of God. Make your car the kingdom of God. Make your life the kingdom of God. Make your relationships the kingdom of God. Make your thoughts the kingdom of God. Make your words the kingdom of God. Let everything in you, around you, and about you be about where God is ruling and God is working. If you're not working for God, if you're not allowing God to rule in your life, then you are living a substandard life. And you're not doing the work that the Lord has given to you. Everybody doesn't have to grab a microphone and preach. Everybody doesn't have to play keyboard. Everybody doesn't have to play an instrument or sing on microphone. Everybody doesn't have to be an usher, a deacon, or a greeter. But everybody who loves the Lord needs to go to work in his kingdom. Everybody who loves the Lord needs to get more serious about establishing God's kingdom in this earth. I know it's hard to come back on Sunday night, but we're doing something here on Sunday night. I know it's hard to come back on Wednesday night, but we're doing something here on Wednesday night. We're doing something. We're having important meetings. We're worshiping God together. We're fellowshipping with each other. And we're putting plans together to change our world for Jesus. I want you to get involved. If you hadn't been to new members class, I want you to come tonight at 6 o'clock. I want to share with you more tonight about how you can go to work in God's kingdom. We all need to do the work the Lord gives us. You might be thinking, well, I don't know what there is for me to do. Just pick something and get involved. Pick something and get involved. Start working for God. Start getting involved. You say, well, I don't even know where to start. Start showing up as often as you can. Start reading your Bible every day. Start saying your prayers every day. Invest in your own spirituality. Start doing the work that God allows you to do for him so you can have the rewards that he's promised you in this life and in the life to come. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for loving us the way you do. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for everyone in this room who's unsaved, God, I pray that right now you would give them a spiritual awareness of their need for true salvation. And I pray that you would draw them by your spirit. Only you can save people, God. So I pray that you do your work your way. Lord, I pray for every true saved person in this room. God, as Christians, that we would begin to live lives that would honor you. That we would begin to put you first. And that we would go to work. That we would work hard. And that we would work with an excellent spirit. And we would be expert builders. Building your kingdom. Establishing your kingdom. In our homes. In our schools in our workplace, in our community. God, you are worthy of so much more than we give you. You deserve so much better than we've offered you. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for being lazy. I pray that you'd forgive us for concentrating on other things when we should be concentrating on you and your kingdom. God, I pray that you would help us reach this neighborhood for your love. Help us to be your hands and feet, to take your love and your message to men and women and boys and girls all around this place so the world would know that you're the only true God and that you have shown your love to the world by sending your son to die for us. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to love you more. Help us to lo love you in a way that would prompt us to serve you first and foremost. You're better than everything. You're God all by yourself. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing that compares to you. Help us to believe that, God. 
Help us not just to say these words, but to know these things on the inside. Lord, I pray for every real Christian in the room right now that you'd give us a greater passion to read your word. Give us a greater passion to spend time talking to you in prayer. Give us a greater passion to serve in ministry, to work inside your kingdom. There's so much pulling on us, God, on our jobs, on our homes. Always something to do. Always a to-do list. Always a task. Always a chore. Help us to prioritize things to where we put your tasks first. Because you promised if we'd put you first, everything else would work out. Our confession is that you deserve to be first. And I pray that you would shape us in a way that that would be our reality. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for salvation, healing, and deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.